be thankful for a father in heaven who cares for his children. We should be thankful that he is God. For the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. This is God. This is God. He spoke and galaxies appeared. This is God who spoke in beasts of the field and birds of the air and fish of the sea came into existence, who can form man from the dust of the earth and with one rib could form an entire woman. He split the sea in two, causing them to stand like walls so the Israelites could walk through on dry land. This is God brought one city to its knees through the holler and scream of mortal beings, gave one man the ability and the strength to single-handedly slaughter a thousand men with nothing but a donkey's jawbone. This is a mighty God who cares for you. This is who we should be thankful to and thankful for. Amen, huh, church? We're going to talk about Thanksgiving. I almost could wrap up after that and close with prayer, uh, but we're not. So get your Bible out, all right? Luke chapter 17. I want to preach on a story I've never preached on before, I don't believe, of uh, the healing of 10 lepers. So Luke 17, 11 to 19. Get your note sheet out, all right? Take some notes along with me. Um, if you don't have a Bible, uh, hopefully there's one in a chair in front of you. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, take that one with you, okay? We would love for you to have a copy of the Word of God, uh, especially if you'll read it uh, on a regular basis. While you're kind of getting all that out, a couple of quick announcements. We have our pop-up shop. If you were thinking about getting some coastal stuff for loved ones, Christmas gifts, we've got one more week of that, and then that's going to go away, and we're going to place the order, okay? So make sure you order before next week. Uh, secondly, we've got our family corporate worship coming up and uh, on the 20th, and we're going to be doing baptisms. And by the way, I think, I think I heard 25 or more baptisms just at Yorktown. So these are people declaring Christ. It's our family dedication, our parents' child dedication, as well as the Lord's Supper. And uh, it's a family service, so we only have three and under for uh, child care. Now listen, I want to challenge you, okay? I know a lot of times we hear no child care, and man, I'm punting this week. I'm not going to come because I won't sit with my kid. I'm actually going to talk about that in this service. I think it's really, really important that at least a couple times a year, dads especially, uh, your kids sit alongside of you and watch you worship Jesus, okay? That's really important. So I know your kids will be in here. They get a little squirmy. They get noisy. What, I don't care. That doesn't bother me, okay? I'm thrilled that you brought your kid to church. I mean that. So it uh, doesn't bother me at all. all right, next, uh, next announcement. Uh, we have our English uh, speakers of second language class that we offer, and um, a lot of the people we're ministering to uh, come from warm climate countries, and they don't always have cold weather gear, okay? So uh, we want to help provide these classmates that we're teaching English with the hopes of introducing them to Christ. Uh, we want to provide them with some coats. So we're doing a coat drive. If you've got a coat that you don't use that is in good shape and clean, yeah, if it's not clean, like, you know, let's give good things away, okay, right? Like, oh, this is terrible. I'll give it to the church. Not That's not our mentality, all right? Uh, we want to give our best to the things of the Lord and to the church. So uh, there you go. I, uh, so last week, th Pastor Andrew did an incredible job, hopefully challenged you, challenged me uh, as I was listening to his sermon. 
uh, on evangelism. Thank you, Pastor Andrew, for subbing in. My wife and I were on vacation, and it was fantastic. So thank you for letting us get away. And I'm, I'm actually going to take a moment and tell you what we did. All right. So we, uh, when we first got married, um, someone as a wedding gift gave us a prepaid weekend to a family life conference. They do family life, it's through Focus on the Family, and they do a weekend conference called A Weekend to Remember. And so we went like our second year of marriage. It was fantastic. God taught us a lot about ourselves, our marriage, and those kind of things. And it was always in our minds, like, man, we want to go back. And so it only took us 26 years. So on our 28th year anniversary, we were like, hey, we're going to go back. And uh, we'd been wanting to go. And so we went to Destin, Florida last week, a weekend to remember, and uh, worked on our marriage. And, uh, you know, like I've told my elders I was going, they're like, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing's wrong. Okay, like it's good, but it can always be better. And and so on a scale of one to ten, wherever your marriage is, you can always move another cl- number closer to ten. If you're a two, you can move to a three. If you're a three, you can move to a five, whatever. And I'm not even going to ask my wife where she thought we were on a scale of one to ten and where we are now. It's always lower than I think it is, right? Like, oh, we're at a ten. Everything's great. What are you talking about? Uh, so here's the challenge, okay? Like, it, it was, we had such a great weekend. I just want to encourage you. Um, you know, the home is really the, the central focus that God has given us for discipleship. Like your marriage and discipling your family and leaving a family legacy really is about Christ being the center of your marriage. And, uh, and so if you have never really spent some time working on your marriage, I can't recommend it strongly enough. And so there's a family life weekend coming up in November in two weeks in Williamsburg, and there's another one in Norfolk. They do them all over the country uh, all the time. You can go to their website and see. But I want to encourage you, think about getting away, taking a weekend to work on your marriage. And so, men, I'm going to put you men on the spot. I want you on the way home today to ask your wife, hey, would you like to do one of these? Okay, you ready? Don't ask if you're not prepared for a hearty yes, all right? So uh, they're really, really great, and my shameless plug for Family Life Weekend's over. Uh, but we had a great time. Uh, so that's my introduction. Here we go. Uh, I want to get your note sheet out. I want you to write something down at the top, um, and I'm going to circle back to it, all right? I, I love Thanksgiving. I love this time of year. Like, I think it's so important that we pause as a culture and give thanks, And so I want you to write down, what are you thankful for? Like, first thing that pops into your head, what are you thankful for? Write it down at the top. We'll circle back to that a little bit later. But what are you thankful for? You know, we, uh, I, 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 besides the fact that I love family, and obviously I love good food and all that, and uh, so and those pieces I like about Thanksgiving, but uh, I love the, uh, you know, that our culture still gives thanks and pauses, but what's always interesting to me is that, you know, living in a post-Christian culture, uh, you know, really I would even say our culture is more like a practical atheistic culture. We may say we believe in a God, but at the end of the day we do what we want to do as a culture. Yet, you're still in the next couple weeks on all your media platforms, whatever they are, uh, you're going to hear people saying we should give thanks. Now, if you don't believe in God, I'm always like, well, what are you giving thanks to? Like the stars, the universe, the, you came out of the, you evolved from the gelatinous muck and everything worked out. Like, what are we giving thanks to? And I will tell you that if Thanksgiving at its heart is Christianity. And if we as Christians can't give thanks, who's going to do it? Amen. And so, man, I just want to take the next couple of weeks and really focus our hearts on Thanksgiving. And I want to look at a story this morning of 10 lepers that Jesus healed, and they don't all pause and give thanks. And Jesus draws attention. He actually gives a 
I would say, a gentle exhortation of where is the thanksgiving. And so, uh, and so let's check out this story. Luke 17, verse 11, and, uh, and then I'm going to challenge us with a couple points that I hope will make us and encourage us as Christians to be thankful. So on the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him. And now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, he said, we're not ten cleansed, where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise up, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now let me pull out a couple points that I think will challenge you this morning and hopefully encourage your heart to be a thankful heart. Uh, Point number one, thanksgiving begins by recognizing your helpless estate. I'm talking about the state of your soul. Thanksgiving begins by recognizing your helpless estate. Luke chapter 17 verse 12 says, As they entered the village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. That standing at a distance is really important. In Bible times, New Testament times, Old Testament times, leprosy was a scourge. Now, uh, leprosy is a, is a bacterial infection that creates nerve-ending numbness so that you no longer feel pain on the, your extremities. Okay, Now, you wouldn't think that this is a big deal. It usually comes with some leprosy comes with some kinds of sometimes sores or red patches. And you wouldn't think this was a big deal to not feel pain, but it really becomes quite debilitating. And actually, it can even grow to be disgusting because a leper uh, will oftentimes would oftentimes injure maybe their fingers or their thumbs or their toes or their appendages and not even know that they're injured. And because of that. Uh, their injuries sometimes will grow infected, and there's even stories, because lepers usually were cast out of their towns or their villages, uh, lepers oftentimes lived in really uh, impoverished slums, and, and there are stories told that even at night when a leper would sleep, like the rats and the vermin would come and chew on the ends of their fingers because of the infection and, and make their disease even worse. And so it was not uncommon for lepers to become disfigured, and they were outcasts, and in fact, a, a leper, if they even came close to a community... Uh, where people were not sick with leprosy. They had to yell out as they came in the community, unclean. They had to announce their coming, right? Basically saying, I'm disgusting. I'm an outcast, as they would enter. And so they're at a distance, right? And and these lepers uh, probably knew uh, Leviticus 14, which I'm sure many of you have memorized, uh, of what you do when you get healed with leprosy, right? And And so Leviticus 14 Uh, the author of Leviticus, Moses, gives us a full passage on if you get healed, the process of a healed leper re-entering the community, right? And it's an eight-day process that includes bathing and shaving and sacrifice and all this stuff before you are allowed to to re-enter the community. And that's important. I want to come back to that. But one of the things that we see here 
is how these lepers are united in their sickness, okay? And the text is very clear that there's nine lepers that are from Israel, and there's one that's a Samaritan. Now, the Jews absolutely despised the Samaritans, okay? The Samaritans would would be considered the half-breeds of the culture. These were where a Jewish person would maybe turn their back on their race and go marry a Gentile, and their children were considered half-breeds. And so the Samaritans were outcasts in the community. Yet here we find the ten, the nine and the one, together in unity, and what brings them together? Anybody? It's their sickness, right? It's their leprosy. They're unified and calling out to Christ. And I think this is a great picture of really the unifying nature of the gospel. Like, really, if you think about our culture, our culture is just, it's just more splintered than, you know, I've ever seen. How many are, right now you're tuning into your, you know, your favorite news station and you're like, man, is it going to be a red wave or the blue's going to hold off the reds, you know, we don't know. It's, you know, so much division and and like we just, as a culture, I've just ne- never in my life have seen so much disunity, right? I mean, the only thing we seem to be able to come together on as a culture is getting rid of time change weekend, right? Finally, somebody makes some sense, right? I, actually, I felt so refreshed this morning. I was like, why can't we just turn the clock back every Saturday? Like just another hour back. That seems fine to me. And keep going. But um, listen. Your politicians are not going to bring unity to this culture. There's not going to be some bill they're going to put forth that's going to unify the culture. There's not going to be some presidential executive order that's going to, you know, we're all going to be holding hands, singing kumbaya at the end. Like, man, don't we just get along? The hope of unity is in the church that upholds the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. That's it. And why is that? Because there's a couple important tenets to the gospel that unifies us as a church. And it's not about race or gender or socioeconomic class. It starts with the idea that every human being is created in the image of God. Therefore, they're important. Amen? And even the preborn babies are important. We have to protect the babies in the womb. Because they're preborn and they're made, God, Psalms tells us God knits us up in the womb. God's hand is with every single baby created in the image of God. However, the image of God has been marred, sometimes even beyond recognition, by this thing called sin. All of us have rebelled against the holy God and therefore we are sinners in need of saving by God himself. And so what unifies us as a church, no matter your race, your background, your gender, how much money you do or don't have, we are all unified under the idea that you're special because you're created in the image of God, that image has been marred by your sin, therefore you're under what you deserve is the wrath of God, but because God is is good and forgiving and merciful and gracious. He sent his son Jesus to intervene on your helpless and hopeless estate to save you from the penalty that your sin deserved before God. And therefore, as a church, we are all unified as man. I'm broken and I'm needing and I need saving by God's salvation plan, which is Jesus Christ. And that unifies us together. And it's that message and that message alone that will help unify the country. And one of the things that disgusts me 
is when churches stop preaching that message. When churches don't make that message the central theme of what they're about. Because what happens is, if the church doesn't leaven the culture, there is no hope for that culture because the culture is not going to get it from the government. Okay? So, listen, as Christians, I think we should vote. I think we should vote with a Christian worldview. But, man, that is not our hope as a culture, as a Christian. Our hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ through the church. Okay? And so, a heart of thanksgiving is formed in a person who recognizes how sick and broken they really are, right? So these lepers stood at a distance, and they said, man, I'm a mess. And the heart of thanksgiving starts with, I am a mess. I don't bring anything to the table. And what is that, really? The heart of that is humility. By the way, the next time you're fighting with your spouse, I want you to try this, right? It's a little heated, it's a little tense. I want you to stick your finger at your spouse and go, you know what? I'm the problem in this relationship. And just see how that lands, right? And because it's a humbling thing to go, man, I'm broken and I'm a mess. Second thing I want you to see here. I want you to see the approach of the lepers, the, how they approach the one who heals. So they approach Christ in Luke chapter 17, verse 13. It says, and they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So first of all, Jesus as master. And that's a really weighty and humbling term. That is, Jesus, you're in charge. If you're here this morning, you're a Christian. You have declared, Jesus, you're my boss. I submit to you, and I submit to your will and your words and your ways. Jesus, I... I don't read the, your word, and, and, and I decide if it's good for me. I don't decide if I want to do it that way. I submit to your word knowing that your word is good, true, and right, and therefore it's good for me. I bend my will to the will of the Lord, not the other way around. By the way, one of the things that makes sin, because you know, you probably, you might be sitting here like, Sean, you spend time on sin, and it's broken body of Christ, it's bloody, and it's like, God, why is God so uptight about sin? Here's the deal. Every time that you sin, you're declaring by your actions, I'm declaring by my actions, that I know better than God's way. That is setting me up to be my own little God. The reason sin is so awful in the presence of a holy God, it's us looking at the God of the universe and going, I know better than you. I'll do it my way. And when we do that, man, it reeks in the nostrils of God Almighty. But the, the, the lepers approach Jesus and say, Jesus, you're, you're the boss. And they ask for something. Let her be. What do they ask for? They ask for mercy, right? Hey, Jesus, turn your attention this way. I'm a broken mess and I need help. Jesus, Master, have, have mercy on me. This is the idea, this understanding that, that there's something you need from God and his son Jesus that you cannot provide on your own. You need his mercy. You need his grace. What's the difference between grace and mercy? Anybody? Grace is what? It's getting something good that you don't deserve. And mercy is what? Not getting what you do deserve. Right? So the second song we sang, right? We talk about the blood of Christ. It's... The blood of Christ covering us is the idea that Jesus, 
I deserve the punishment of Almighty God for my sin, but Jesus, God overlooked my sin and imputed my sin onto Jesus, and Jesus spilled his blood for my sin and gave me mercy instead of judgment. Right? I didn't get what I deserved. Jesus took it for me. And all of this comes from a heart of humility. Let her see, right? A heart of humility. Let me say this. Proud people are not thankful people. Proud people are not thankful people. Proud people somehow think that all whatever in your life that you think is successful or good or happening is because of you. I really believe this. The amount of one's heart posture of thanksgiving can be directly linked to the amount of humility that one sees in their need of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, we're not a thankful culture. We're an entitled culture because we're a proud culture. See, when you remove God from, uh, from the square, from the marketplace, from everywhere, suddenly you become your own God. You think it depends on you. You become a proud culture. But Christians are a people that say, you know what? I'm broken. And God saved me. and God intervened on my behalf. And therefore, we are a humble people. And a people of humility are a people that are thankful. Number three, third thing I want you to see here. We see obedience. Obedience from the lepers to the one who heals. And so they do what Jesus says. Check this out in verse 14. It says, when they saw them... When they saw them, when he saw them, Jesus saw the the lepers, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. This is a very important line that I hope I can adequately explain, okay? Letter A, there's always a go in the journey of faith, okay? So going back to Leviticus 14, and I know most of you in the room have memorized. Uh, So Leviticus 14 Once you got healed from leprosy, you would then go to the priest and the priest would then do this eight-day prescription of what it would be to be healed and to to re-enter into society. Okay, when Jesus says, go to the priest, were the lepers healed yet? No, so they're taking a journey of faith. Like, why are we going to the priest? We're not. We're still covered in sores. We're still a mess. We're still broken. There's a journey of faith. And there's always going to be a go in your life. Always. As a follower of God in Christ, there's always going to be a faith element to your journey. You de- and by the way, this gets, I think this gets harder as you get older. The older we get, the more we like safe, soft, easy, and comfortable, right? The less we like the go element. Like, I, I like my routine, you know, I'm really, like, I'm really hopeful to be that grumpy old guy who yells at the teenagers to get off my lawn. Get off my lawn! Like, I'm looking forward to that day. But man, that's not, that's not go, right? That's, that's like, uh, maybe that's the American dream, I don't know. But like, uh, it's like man, if you, you can't live the fullness of whatever the American dream is, and go with God. There are always going to be faith elements to your journey. They, and why is that? Why does God call us to go? Why is there a faith element? Because as they're going, God heals them, and it becomes evident that God is doing it and not them. Amen? 
God's always going to call us to do things that you can't do in your own strength so that he can show off through your life so that ultimately he gets all the praise and the glory through what he's called you to do. Everybody with me on that? There's always going to be a go element. There's a great little story as I was reading this story in 2 Kings that I was reminded of. It's a story of a guy by the name of Naaman. Um, Naaman was a, a Syrian general, okay? So the Syrian army... Uh, God had raised up the nation of Syria to punish the nation of Israel. So the nation of Israel was not walking in obedience, and God kept saying, I'm going to punish you, and then Israel didn't repent. Finally, he does. He sends in the Syrian army, and the Syrian army uh, takes over Israel, deports some of the people, and uh, one of the people that the king that was used by God to punish the nation of Israel was the nation of Syria and this guy named Naaman. And uh, he was a general in the Syrian army. And one of the little girls that's deported into Syria, she's still a worshiper of the true and living God. And so the king of Syria overhears her talking one day, talking about there's a prophet in Israel that can heal. And so the king, because he loves his general, General Naaman, talks to Naaman and says, hey, I think if you go to Israel, there's a prophet down there that can heal. And so the king sends Naaman with a letter from himself and a bunch of money to the king of Israel and says, listen, we heard that there's, the God of Israel can heal because Naaman is covered in leprosy. And so he sends Naaman, who's a leper, but also an, an accomplished general, goes to Israel to the king and the king freaks out because he shows up with a letter from the more powerful country, Syria, with all this gold, basically looking at the king and going, okay, I'm here to be healed. Right? And the king's like, well, who, am I God? Like, I can't, what are you talking about? I can't heal you, right? And so he kind of freaks out, and then word gets to the prophet Elijah that Naaman's here. And so Elijah sends for Naaman, and Naaman shows up at the prophet Elijah's house with the letter and the money. And then he basically says, I'm going to give you all this money if you heal me. And Elijah says, I don't want your money, but indeed it is a God, our God heals. And so he goes, here's how he's going to heal you. I want you to go to the Jordan River. I want you to bathe seven times. Go in, bathe, come out, dry off, go in seven times. Do this. And, Na and when you do that, you'll be healed. And what do you think Naaman's response will be? Like, awesome, I'm finally going to be healed of leprosy. You know what he does? He gets angry. What do you mean, go to the Jordan River? I could have, there's like plenty of rivers in Damascus where I'm from. I could just bathe up there. Why do I got to do this God's way? Right? He actually says, can't the prophet just kind of wave his hand and I get better? Why I got to do this stupid thing seven times Jordan River? What a waste of my time. And he starts journeying back. And fortunately, some of the servants around Naaman start to kind of elbow him and say something, something like this, like, hey, Naaman, you're being an idiot. Okay, so like we all need those friends, right? Those friends in your life, like you're being an idiot. And so finally, Naaman decides to obey the prophet. And he goes to the Jordan River. He washes seven times. And guess what happened? God heals him. And the scripture is really, really clear that he then declares that there's no God like Jehovah. By the way, we just sang a couple weeks ago. Well, we sang the song, The Days of what? I remember Elijah, right? And Elijah and Elijah and uh, two prophets that sound like they're the same name, but they're not. Right? And so in that, out of that comes this idea that, man, there's no God like Jehovah. Right? And so, listen, there's always a go that is not exactly what you think. I remember when I young people, I want to address you young people. I know I'm old, right? But I, I do remember being a teenager. And I remember I grew up in a Christian home. And, you know, and I remember there was a season in my life that I was trying to figure out, like, is this faith my parents or is it my own? And I went through this season. And, 
And I remember I wanted to follow Christ, but the Lord, like, you know, spoke to my heart, I guess, and he kind of drew a line in the sand. He said, these friends that you're hanging with, these non-Christian friends, they're dragging you away from the things of the Lord. Now you need to go from them for a season and mature in Christ and be at the church and hang out with Christian friends. And listen, there's somebody in this room, like that's what God's doing. He's saying, I need you to go. I need you to stop hanging because show me your three closest friends and I'm going to show you the kind of what you're going to turn out to look like, okay, and be like in your life, right? There's somebody in this room that you've got a, 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 an addictive, particular sin that keeps train wrecking your life. And you think you can do it on your own. God's saying, no, I want you to go to your pastor or your small group leader or your elder, somebody that you trust spiritually that's more spiritually important. I want you to confess your sin. I want you to go. And we're going to get help. And Marty's in charge of our heart of addiction class. We're going to get you help, and you're going to walk free from that sin. But you got to go. You just can't keep sitting there. Listen, I, I feel like I preach my guts out some week, right? And I'm like, hey... We're here to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. And it's really, that's why we exist as a church. And we do that in three ways, right? We want you to do what? Connect, what? And serve. Listen, you're here this morning. You're doing the connect piece. But man, there's a big percentage of our church that's not doing grow and serve. And I could take you after scripture passage after scripture passage after scripture passage after scripture passage talks to why this part is important in your spiritual journey. You have to go. There's a faith journey. And I could talk about your giving. There's a giving piece to this. You have to go. Because there's, as you're going, God shows up and does things that blow your mind. Amen? And there's never a day that we just get to sit back and be comfortable. There's always, if you're going to follow me, I'm going to then send you to an area that I've sent you, so I'm with you, but it's going to be uncomfortable for you because I want you to trust me because I'm going to show up and meet you when you're uncomfortable, and I'm going to show off my power through that. We need to go in faith that we're going to follow the Lord. Amen, church? And so letter B, in that going, healing's found in God's instructions, right? When we do things God's way, he shows up in power and walks with us. By the way, this has gospel implications, right? God has told us that the only way to be saved from sin and to have peace with God and to have eternal life is in Christ alone. There's a, there's a false teaching out there that is trickling into church life. And it needs to, at least at this church, it needs to stop. If you're saying this, like this is not part of a, what the Bible teaches. And that false teaching is that all roads lead to God, as long as you're sincere in your faith. You just need sincerity, believe what you're going to believe sincerely, and all roads lead to God. That is a lie. God has defined for us how we connect with him as creator, and it's through Christ and the gospel of Christ alone. Acts chapter 4, burn this into your brain, verse 12. It says, and there is salvation in what, church? All right, that was lame. All right, here we go. Let's do it again. There is salvation in what, church? No one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 
person has to know about Jesus Christ to have eternal life. Amen. Now, some of you are like, well, wait a minute, Pastor John. Like, we're talking about billions of people that believe other things. And so, listen, what, this gets back to our last series. Why are we here? Why didn't when we get saved, God doesn't just take us to heaven. He left us here. He's, you get to be a part of the mission to take the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Listen, if you missed two weeks ago, you must go back and listen to my sermon where I laid out the vision for Coastal Church. I think we're going to be at least a 10-campus church, and we're going to continue to do missions and plant gospel outposts, and we need your financial resources to do that. So I'm praying for our Christmas offering. I said, hey, think about maybe giving a 1000 but give what you can give because we need to raise some resources so that we can fund the mission of the gospel. And I see in here unapologetically, yes, we want to be a part of making sure the gospel goes to every tribe, tongue, and nation around the planet. Amen? And so we've got to be a part of this because there is no other name given among men whereby people can be saved except the name of Jesus. And he's left us here both individually and corporately to pull our time, talent, and treasure and exalt Christ. There's always a go in faith where we seek the Lord, where he works and heals and provides and moves. And so when God shows up and when he does his things, number four, pray, we praise God for what he's done. Look at this in verse 15. Then one of them, this is the Samaritan, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving, thank, giving him thanks, and now he was a Samaritan. So letter A, the Samaritan praised Jesus first, okay? Now I want to I pause here and, and help you understand why I think this is important and why the text points this out, okay? So the 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 ten are to told by Jesus to go to the priest. Now, when they were going, they still had leprosy, all right? So they're going covered with leprosy, and they get healed. And now, probably, in their minds, they have the idea, hey, we're healed now. Now we got to go to the priest and do the eight-day regime to get back into our lives, I want you to imagine, I mean, being a leper was as lonely as lonely could be. It was poor, you were outcast, you didn't get invited to any of the wedding feasts, the Thanksgiving holidays, the Christmas holidays, you didn't get invited over to watch any of the football games, you were a total outcast, and now you're healed, and the first thing in your mind is, man, I got to get to the priest and do my eight-day regime so I can get my life back. Everybody with me? I would probably be in the same boat. Like, man, I can finally re-enter society and, and enjoy all the blessings that God wants me to enjoy. But they did it without first saying, hey, you know what? We ought to pause and give thanks to the one who healed us. And we don't know if this journey was an hour or eight days or 10 days. We don't know how long it was in their journey. Listen, the eight days in front of the priest was still to happen and could happen. But the first thing that should have happened is they should have gone back to the healer and said, we want to praise you for healing us. You ready for the challenge? Sometimes we want the benefits of God's blessings more than we want God himself. Sometimes we're like, hey, I want to, they just want to go enjoy the benefits of being healed. 
And this often shows in us how quickly we are, how quickly we give thanks. When God shows up and provides, is it the first thing we do? Is it the, you know, the other, we don't know, maybe they went and saw the priest, did their eight-day thing, and came back and give thanks. So it was the second thing they did. It's not terrible, I guess, but it'd be better if it was the first thing they did. Maybe they didn't do it at all. Maybe they never paused to give thanks. It's the first thing we do to give thanks. And as Christians, man, I, I'm thankful for the Thanksgiving holidays coming up, and I, I always find it to be a great holiday. But man, it's a great time to pause and give thanks, but really it's kind of a regular daily heart posture for a Christian. The second thing we see here is the Samaritan shows back up is his posture of praise, right? He, he's bowing in humility. There's a, his body language is actually showing the, the humility of his heart. I, uh, Maui, where are you? Maui, there you are, Maui. Maui, I, I love the Thailand greeting, right? What's the Thailand greeting? It's, yeah, it's a yep. So I love this greeting. I love it for a couple reasons. One, I think the handshake is just germy and disgusting, okay? So, like, have you ever, like, I've, I've had this happen as a pastor, you know, I'm out in the welcome area, I'll walk up some <coughs> oh, hey, pastor, great to see you. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, you know. Like, so this is just not, you know, it's just nicer. And then, like, dudes, uh, dudes, you guys know this to be true, too. Dudes, it's like a, um, who can grip the hand the hardest, right? Like, it's, so it's not really a greeting as much as, like, a game of uncle, right? And uh, I'm always like, you win. Like, you're stronger than me. But the Thailand greeting just has this humility to it. Like, man, like a mutual submission. I just love this, right? And... I don't know. I don't know if we could bring it to America. It would be great. So, but like, but like, I, you know, the healed Samaritan shows up and he bows before the Lord. When was the last time you like physically bowed before the Lord? Like, hey, I, I'm going to pray in humility. I'm going to worship in humility. I know Pastor Tito's wife, Jeeva, a lot of times she sits on the front row when when she doesn't have all the kids. And, like, I'll see her, like, sometimes in the middle of a song, get down and bow. How many of y'all remember, if you're old like you, you remember the old praise and worship song, We Bow Down, We Lay Our Crown. Like, I always remember singing that song, We Bow Down, and everybody's got their standing up with their hands raised. I'm like, shouldn't we're singing about, like, shouldn't we maybe, I don't know, uh, just me, you know? So, I mean, the last song we just sang, standing up with our hands raised, that makes sense. But, like, if we're saying, we got lines coming out of our lungs or whatever, but uh, whatever, you know, you'll never sing that song the same. I just ruined it for you. But, um, yeah, like, where's that humility of, like, hey, you know what, God? I know as we get older, it's like physically harder. I said in the last service, I said to Marty, I said, you've, you've got three knee surgeries and you have two knees. I don't know. But anyway, like, how's that happen? But so it's probably harder. But like, how about our humility of like, I'm going to physically at times in my life bow. That my body posture reflects my heart posture. The third thing is we see that, that he praises the Lord with a loud voice. He is not ashamed to let people know he's praising the Lord. Hey, dads, I talked about this a little bit earlier. We have our family service coming up. Do it a couple times a year. We don't have child care. And it's those weeks that I see our children's attendance crash. The, the goal of that is not for you to skip church that week because there's no child care. There's someone taking care of my kids. The goal of that is for you as a dad 
to sit next to your child and let them watch you praise the Lord. We only do it a couple times a year. And listen, I know the kids get squirmy, and I don't like I don't care. I don't, when I hear babies in here crying, you know, it doesn't. I'm like I'm thankful you're here with your kids. Okay. Um, if your kid knows that you get louder for the Georgia Bulldogs or the Seattle Seahawks or whatever that you yell at the TV screen for than you do for praising the Lord, something's off. Okay? It's important that your family see you praise the Lord. And by the way, I'm, I'm just going to give you a little side note here, okay? A little pastoral side note. The reason we run the music so loud in here so this will save you the anonymous tear-offs that I get from time to time, okay? So it's because I can't sing, but I want to sing loud, and therefore we turn it up loud enough that I can sing as loud as I can and not hear myself. Amen? So that's why we run it loud. It's not the sound person. It's my decision. I make that decision, and I tell the sound person on my Tuesday meetings, run it hot, okay? So there you go. It just saved you the pen and paper. So, but listen, and by the way, I think we do this really well as a church. I think you guys come in most weeks prepared with your heart to sing praises, and I love it. I missed y'all last week when we were away, and I love it, and I get to do it three times. You only get to do it once, okay? So <laughs> praise the Lord. And finally, we see the nine guys who missed it. And I'll just move through this quickly, and we'll wrap it up, all right? Verse 17, and Jesus answered, were there not ten cleansed? Were the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, I think what Jesus is saying to the Samaritan is that not only did his faith make him physically well, but he's a believer. He's, he's saved because his faith made him well. This is really a gentle rebuke for ingratitude. I think Thanksgiving is really a reflection of true salvation. It shows humility. It shows dependence. It shows that we... We've, what we've, all that we've received in our lives comes from the provision of God Almighty. Psalm 107, verse 1 and 2 says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. I want to park on this next line for a minute. And let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let me stop there. What does the word redeemed mean? It's a, it's a Bible word. It's a transactional word that says we've been, we've been bought back. The word redeemed is the Bible word that talks about those who have received the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've repented of their sin. They believed in Jesus. The blood of Christ has paid for their sin. And they've been bought back into an adopted family relationship with their creator, God. And so what the psalmist is saying is, the redeemed are the ones that need to say, God is good, and praise him for that, and his love endures forever, right? We see this in Luke chapter 19 as Jesus is entering uh, Jerusalem on a donkey, and it's Palm Sunday, and the Crowds are crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God, right? Hosanna means to save. Our king has come to save us. Now, they had a misunderstanding of how Jesus' kingdom was going to come. They thought he was going to overthrow Rome, but they're praising the Lord. And the Pharisees come up to Jesus and his disciples and say, make them stop. 
And Jesus says, if they stop, the rocks will cry out. And so it's our job as a church to, because we know the gospel and been saved by Christ, to be a people of thanksgiving and praise. And we can be sure that every week we're going to gather corporately and we're going to praise the Lord. And that's going to encourage your neighbor as you're singing out. It's going to remind your heart and mind. I'm not in this by myself. There are other redeemed of the Lord who are saying so. They are saying that God is loving and gracious and kind. And we have so much to be thankful for. And at least for this week, the rocks can be kept silent because this this church is not going to be like the nine guys who missed it. We are going to be the group of people that gather and give thanks and give praise to the Lord. Amen? And so that's what we do. I don't want to be like the nine who missed it, and I know you don't either. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to lead us through a prayer of thanksgiving. So I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to bring the worship team out, and then we're going to close by singing to the great I am. Thank you, Lord. You're holy. Hallelujah. You are the great I am. But Psalm 100 says, man, we enter his gates with thanksgiving. We're going to get there by thanking the Lord. So bow your heads, close your eyes. Nobody looking around. I'm just going to lead you, okay? You're praying silently to the Lord, but I want you to start by thanking God for saving you with the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Thank you that God didn't leave you in your helpless and hopeless estate, but gave you his very best gift. Then thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who's the comforter, man. And going through a hard time, the Holy Spirit gives us comfort. Peace that passes understanding. Holy Spirit guides us in truth. Scriptures are clear. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. Well, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, changing your heart and your mind to walk in truth. The Bible says the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us. So we, we know because Christ is in us through the power of the Spirit that the grave will not have final say over us. But in fact, Jesus does. Praise Him for that. Lord for your church. I'm not talking about some distant institution. I'm talking about the people in your life. People that minister to you and encourage you and pray for you. And the people you get to minister to. The ministry you're serving in. The, thank the Lord you get to serve these other people. Thank God for that cherished friend, that family member that you're really close to, that God has blessed you with that close family or cherished friend relationship. God, we thank you. And thank the Lord for your earthly blessings. What has God blessed you with here on earth? The Bible says he provides everything we need according to his riches and glory given you great shelter vehicle good health strength and suffering nice vacation what has he provided for you thank him for that so father we're your people 
we want the rocks to be kept silent. So God, we will praise your name. We acknowledge that you've saved us by giving us your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your obedience to the Father. Praying the night before if possible. God, let this cup pass for me, but not my will, but your will be done. Thank you for submitting to the will of your Father and Holy Spirit. Thank you for living inside of us, God. Thank you for a church of people that are serious-minded about the gospel and the commissioning of Christ, and they love you, and they serve, and they're humble, and they gather to praise you, God. Thank you for our stuff, God, the stuff you give us to have, Lord. It's There's a lot of people who don't have nearly as much as we do, and we're so grateful. We know all good things come from your hand. And now, God, we're going to go out singing a song that reminds us that you're great, you're awesome, you're actually beyond words that we can grapple with to describe you, yet while that sounds distant, you're also close, you care, you've numbered the hairs on our head, God, you know everything about us, and so we're going to stand and we're going to praise you for who you are. We thank you. Help us to be a people of thanksgiving. Help us to be like the outcast Samaritan who recognized this is the hand of God and nothing else. We want to be like that. We want to be a people of praise, a people of thanksgiving. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's go out singing together. Stand and sing.